right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. The KU season opener today, I guess technically. It's the KU exhibition opener as they're taking on Emporia State 530 is when pregame coverage, Crimson and Blue Show will take over here. 7 o'clock is when tip-off occurs between KU and Emporia State. I was a little bummed out. You couldn't find a uh, line for the game. Well, um, I don't know why you would be looking for a line on a college exhibition game. Why would you not be looking for a line on a college exhibition game is what I want to know. Because I'm not a degenerate. <laughs> well, uh I would say that I would absolutely bet on this game if it were available. So I don't know enough. Vegas about, is missing out on money. I don't know enough about Emporia State to make a reasonable bet. Oh, I don't know anything about Emporia State, but yeah, we'll roll with Kansas. Here's Why not? What I know, I can think of two occasions in which uh, KU struggled at least at one point with their uh, D two opponent. I, I think in two ha- Halloween of twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen. I think they had trouble with maybe Washburn or Fort Hayes State. And then I was actually discussing this with Joel Becker today on his show, uh, Today Radio for Grownups, that in the 06-07 season, the group that that particular team went to the Elite Eight and lost, but that group that the following year went on to win the national championship, that 06-07 season, that team was losing to Emporia State at halftime and then went on to win by about 30. So I, I just don't know. These games are too weird for me to know enough to put any any comfortable amount of money on them. Is there anything specifically from tonight's game that you're most interested in? I know it would be easy to chalk up. Well, it's a preseason game. like It's not really going to mean much, and it probably won't Like in terms of you're not going to be able to take anything away from this that actually is going to impact things three months from now. I always remember like Josh Jackson had a kind of a struggle of a game from what I remember in his last exhibition game, I want to say he had like four points, a bunch of turnovers, missed a bunch of shots, and that ended up not mattering. Like he was great from the get go as a freshman for KU. So, is there anything you're looking at in tonight's game specifically that you actually might have some takeaways from, or that you're just kind of interested to see what something looks like? I guess maybe who the fifth starter is going to be mm-hmm. instead of Jalen Wilson. Um, on top of that, how. But this, this will be a story for tonight and the three regular season games in which Jalen Wilson is out, is how well, just kind of whatever player we presume to be playing instead of Jalen Wilson. And we'll get to some uh, Bill Self audio. We spoke yesterday, and he, he mentioned that he he wasn't going to change his style of play while Jason Jalen Wilson serves this suspension uh, because he, he wouldn't want to go back to practicing an entirely different way once Wilson comes back. Um, so we know that he's going to do a small ball lineup like he planned all along. Uh, so I'll be interested to see tonight 
but more so in the coming games, uh, how whoever is conceivably in there in place of Jalen Wilson plays, and therefore how much more difficult or easy it becomes for Jalen Wilson to get his role back once he is done serving this suspension. But I don't, I mean, do you plan, is anybody going to play more than 15 minutes tonight? I'm trying to think if the math works out on that. If 200 minutes in a game, I guess, I don't know, I guess you could get away with that if like 13, uh, 14 guys or something play 50. Somebody will play 20 minutes. Somebody will play like 22, 23 minutes. But um, I would not take the over on like 25 or anything like that. Yeah, I'd I'd be pretty surprised. Um, You know, hopefully, you know, I say I I don't think – you know this this mantra got repeated over and over again, but I really think there's so much truth to it of how exciting it's going to be for these players to be back in front of a crowd. What they have the crowd at by the end of last year it was it was I don't think I don't they know ever the exact got it. They never it got it. Never to, they never got it full mm-hmm. with COVID last year. They in the first semester they they just had the cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is the first time for for some guys. It's the first time ever playing in front of a full crowd. Uh, for Remy Martin, it's his first time playing in front of a full crowd at Allen Fieldhouse as a member of the KU Jayhawks, um, and so that'll that'll be huge. I, I hope we get to see a an opportunity for a few breakaways, some some big dunks, some alley oops, fun stuff like that. Um, but no, I I don't think it, you know I'm not going to come away if somebody goes nuts and and scorches it for like you know seven for seven from three or seven for eight from three. I'm not going to look at them all of a sudden as, as a, you know, national player of the year candidate mm-hmm. just from tonight. That'd be fun, right? I'm, I'm actually, we're going to champion tomorrow. Open the show. Remind me. Okay. Whoever does best in tonight's game is now the leader I, for big 12 player of the year. All right. Yeah, we'll do okay? that. Um, which therefore makes you a all American candidate and a national player of the year candidate. If you're winning your conference as player of the year, uh, there, there's really four things to me that stick out that I'm looking for tonight. The first, like, what does Remy Martin look like? Like, And I don't mean that from, like, a standpoint of how good does he look? Like, does he score 20 points? Does he have five assists? I just mean, like, stylistically, what does he look like? How does he fit What's his into what KU does? Like? Yeah, and, and honestly, from that standpoint, like, how much are we going to be able to take away his style and 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 how he plays and, and what does the defense look like when you're going up against lesser competition because he might just completely change it up because the guard he's on is way worse than him. So uh, there's no way of totally knowing, but I'll be interested to see if, like you said, the defense, like is he, is he expending a bunch of energy defensively because of all the other guards KU has being able to pressure the basketball? That's the big one uh, because it doesn't necessarily – it's not necessarily about the effect of him pressuring the basketball on a lesser opponent, but if he pressures the basketball, what does that look like? What does he look like offensively in terms of like his role in the offense? Is he trying to be the main option of the offense? Is KU using him like the main option of the offense? Is he playing more of an off-ball role with Dewan Harris? Is he playing more of an on-ball role? Is he shooting a lot of threes? Is he driving to the rim? Is he more facilitating for others? Is he going to look like a guy who might try to, uh, you know, average more of like 13.7 assists than averaging 17 points and four assists. I, I'm kind of interested from that standpoint what he looks like. Yeah, um, I think that's an interesting way to look at it. If he if he tries to turn into a big assist man, that's going to be, I, I think that'll be beneficial for mm-hmm. McCormick and for Ochai. Um, I think uh, I, I'll, I'll be interested to see how many um, – how many what are you doing moments he has? Yeah, 
that that'll be you know because because you can still mis- make mistakes in a game like this. Well, you would I hope think there, there, there aren't as many tonight. Yeah, but but, the well, but, but, also un- unforced, but yeah. unforced errors doesn't matter who the opponent is. I guess conceivably it is because it's a better opponent. You're more nervous, but um, I just I think you can still make unforced errors in a game like this and and not notice it as much because the difference in athleticism will be so so huge. Um, I, that that might be the biggest thing for me is is how how in sync is he with himself against um you know getting used to being around other guys self another thing he said in his audio the guys are getting getting um getting along great on the court off the court but kind of on the court the chemistry still needs some work simply because they all have different signals they were coached differently um but yeah Remy you know it, it, this is the first time where the best arguably the best player on the team is also playing on the team for the first year. The last mm-hmm. time we could say that happened was probably Andrew Wiggins. I think Diedrich and, Lawson. Yeah, okay, that's mm-hmm. okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I guess cuz Devontae Graham was was off that team, but that was still a pretty fre- freshman laden team mm-hmm. too with with Devon Dodson as a freshman. The most experienced player there was Yudoka Azabuki and he was injured by yeah. by Christmas. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, number two, is you mentioned this, who's the fifth starter. Um, if you had to ask me right now, I'm, I'm kind of leaning toward Dewan Harris and that you'll play Dewan and Remy and then Christian and Ochai will be your kind of three, four mix, more of Christian at the, the four. It doesn't really matter, but just who's guarding who and then Dave at the five. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if Joe Yesifu was the other starter. Uh, I don't really think I'd be that surprised if I don't know. Maybe they tried Jalen Coleman lands like at the two, I guess. But I'm thinking either Dewan or Joe, and I'm, I'm leaning uh, Dewan Harris. But just kind of interested there. Uh, the third thing: how many lineups do they use? I mean, you can legitimately, if you just sub one player every minute. Yeah, it's a different lineup, right? So that, that, I don't know. That that'll be and and what it, what does each lineup look like? Um, how often does Mitch Lightfoot play with the four starting guards? Yeah, um, you know how much does a, a big man, or or really any big man other than David McCormick, right? How much how much look do they does does any non David McCormick big man get with the four starting guards? Mm-hmm. That'll be that'll be something to look for. Yeah, and I, I think one thing too, like we'll play the audio for you, but Bill Self talked about this idea of you know not changing to something in the short term for what's going to be different than the long term. Um, which is representative of wanting to play four guards all season long with one big. So I don't even think we're going to see the two big look tonight because that would be basically practicing something that you're not going to actually play in the realistic view. The only reason I would say maybe they would work on it just to get some on Just to see what it looks like. It's possible. Yeah, and in in case they need it for for the purposes of foul trouble in the future. I guess that's a good way of putting it. If if you're going to look at something, you may as well do it in an exhibition game. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. So how many lineups do they use? Where's everybody playing? All that sort of stuff. And then the fourth and final thing, what all players kind of fill in specifically to that like four man role the the wing who's playing down low right like i think christian brown like i mentioned you're going to see him a lot there i think you're going to see a lot of ochai there because jalen wilson's obviously out he would be the guy that you expect most to play that role um how much do you see kj adams there how much do you see i don't know do you see a guy like jalen coleman lands do you see maybe a, a Zach Clements or something. Is he able to play the four? I, I feel like he's been, at least by me, I've considered him more of a five, but 
maybe he is considered more of a four-man. I don't know. That's that's what I'm kind of interested in because that's going to be a position where not just are you missing Jalen Wilson in the short term, but in the long term, there's not like a as much of a clear definition of who the backup four would be behind Jalen Wilson as well. This will be basically impossible to really determine tonight because the athletic athleticism of KU should be so much higher than Emporia State. But And you touched on this briefly a second ago. The most important part, whoever plays the four in, in place, of, particularly while Jalen Wilson is serving the suspension, um, who, but the the most important part of the four with this KU basketball team is going to be defensively. We kind of know this team has a heap of scorers on the outside, um, and and David McCormick has some moves down low that he, you know, he showed some ability to get points. Uh, so, but how you defend the other teams four is going to be to me the most important thing, and that'll be basically impossible to ascertain mm-hmm. tonight because. You would think your four is so much more athletic than Emporia State's four. Yeah, Emporia State. Do you think they were like you know? I don't even know if they play uh, Missouri Southern State at all on the schedule in a typical year, or if they would this year. But do you think they were like, oh man, yes, Kim Martin's out of D two. We never have to play him. Oh no, and now they're upset. <laughs> no, maybe they're thrilled. They get they get an opportunity to to kind of test their skills against yeah. the D2 powerhouse. Yep, that is true. Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. We'll have some more KU basketball talk with Jesse Newell in about 20 minutes. Real quick, though, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series last night, won in Game 6, absolutely dominated in Game 6. Um, Jorge Soler won World Series MVP. It is funny how quickly you go from a guy that everybody – here was like, how do you get rid of this guy? Can you get even anything for him? He's hitting below the Mendoza line. You get something for him. You're ecstatic. You're thinking you you had a bank heist of the Braves, and then he wins. Ends up winning World Series MVP. And in no way is this me saying Royals should have kept him. Clearly, he was he was due for regression to the mean, and he's a really good player because okay, he's a free agent, and you wouldn't have been in the postseason. So it was the right move to trade him. I don't mean by that. I just think how funny of a story that goes from being that guy in the Royals where there was talk about DFAing him to then you still get something for him thinking that you had a highway robbery to then all of a sudden he wins World Series MVP. The other side of this same coin is the the Kansas City Royals in 2012 gave up Jonathan Sanchez and got Jeremy Mm. Guthrie. Jeremy Guthrie was never a World Series MVP, but he was a really important starter for a team that won back-to-back pennants and won a world championship. Um, these are just moves you make. When, you know, when, when you're done with a player, you know that they are not part of your team's future, so you just give up them to get something. I think the Braves, I think the Braves probably viewed Jorge Soler as a um, as a. Uh, uh, off the bench, what's the pinch pinch hitter? That's the word I'm looking for. I wanted to say off the bench, but um, I, I think that's how they viewed him, and and they got a lot more. Uh, but this is why you make trades. You just kind of throw something at the wall, and and you look, you need to make more serious trades. Um, but then yeah, you get the occasional trade where you just go, you know, another example. Josh Willingham hit an important, you know, had an important hit in the Royals uh, win over the A's in the 2014 wild card. Weird things happen with these sorts of acquisitions. Um, good for him, you know. I, you know, he was always. I, I never personally covered him, but I, I've never seen anybody in the Kansas City media say anything bad about him as far as how he was in talking with the media. So good for him. And Terrence Gore 
Got his third World Series. Series. How about this? Uh, Quick hypothetical, because we won't have time for a full hypothetical of the week segment today like we normally do on Wednesdays. Would you rather be Terrence Gore, who has now won his third World Series, mostly coming in as the last guy on a bench and being a pinch runner, or Matthew Slater, who is the like special teams coverage guru for the Patriots. He's been with them since 2008 and he's won three Super Bowls as not actually like he's listed as a receiver, but he never makes catches. He's just always like a pro bowler as a kick cover. Who would you rather be? Which career would you rather have? Uh, whoever's getting paid more. <laughs> so prob- probably uh, Matthew Slater. Yeah. Um, I'll say Terrence Gore is getting hit less, so there's mm. definitely a benefit there. Um but yeah, just I, whoever's got the bigger. But contract. see, Terrence Gore, you get more bang for your buck. Like you said, you're getting hit less. You have less physical. Like you might be asked to pinch run one time in a game. Yeah. Right. Like you just have. Okay. Well, I guess hypothetically, you could have to run three bases if you're going for first. Matthew Slater has to cover 10, 15 kicks in a game. You got to get ready every game. What like, game are you watching that they kick fifteen times? Well, he's not just kicking. He's not just on kickoffs. He's on punts and oh, punt okay. return and all that. Okay. Um, yeah, I just, but man, you, you look at in, in the NFL, what's, I mean, so that Slater, because he's a veteran is getting paid at least a million dollars or yeah. over a million dollars. That's a, I mean, I don't know, man, that's a heap of dough. Yeah. I, I think I might rather be Slater. I think I'd go with Gore. I think it's just an easier lifestyle, but anyway, uh, food for thought there. All right. This is rock truck sports talk. Jesse Newell joins us 20 minutes. This is RCST on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320KLWN. KU taking on Emporia State pregame, 530, tip-off, 7 o'clock right here on KLWN. Joined now by Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, is there one player or lineup or just something in general that you are most interested in seeing what it looks like for KU tonight, even though it is against Emporia State? Yeah, Remy. Remy is the word. Remy mm. is the name. <laughs> uh, it's it's fascinating. I mean, I, I wrote about it a little bit today, but this is something Bill Self really hasn't faced. In his 19 seasons at Kansas, something as unique as this, where you have a guy coming in who's expected to be the preseason Big 12 player of the year, yet he comes in in August, and he's having to play a completely different style, with a completely different playbook, with a completely different coach. And so... Uh, you heard from Bill Self. Uh, I know you guys were playing the audio, and you'll hear, I guess, in the 4 o'clock hour about him talking about Remy a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, right now it's sort of a, a grab bag, I think, for Bill Self. There's sometimes where Remy does some amazing things, and you can see how talented he is. And there's sometimes he doesn't really play within KU's offense and goes off script a little bit, and it's going to make it difficult for things to work out since we know Bill Self is so big on spacing and trying to open things up for different players in his offense. So, yeah, I want to see how he plays. I want to see... Um, you know what he, what kind of effort he gives on the defensive end, and also Bill Self talks so much about him being their little, you know, spark plug, a guy that can kind of be an energizer for them when uh, the rest of the lineup sometimes they aren't as emotional as he might be. So yeah, it's it's the Remy show for me. I'm going to be fascinated for a while now, but it's just such a unique scenario for Bill Self and for Remy Martin that was not available before the uh, the transfer portal became the way it is now. So uh, we'll see how this turns out and. Uh, we'll see how the season plays out starting with tonight's game against Emporia State. Is there a, an expectation for you of what you think the starting five is going to be? Is it as simple as, 
I don't know, Dewan Harris or Joe Yesifu, or are you going a little more off the wall? Who do you think uh, is going to be the starting five and, and I guess the guy who replaces Jalen Wilson? Yeah, no, it'll be uh, it'll be Dewan. Um, you put in Dewan for, for Jalen, so uh, that'll be another thing to kind of watch is that last year, uh, as we know, Marcus Gare was playing point guard and KU really didn't have the transition game, the speed game that it did in some previous years. And Bill Self has way more options now. You know, he's got Remy Martin, he's got Joseph Yesif, who's got Bobby Pettiford to go with DeJuan Harris. So this will give them a little bit of leeway here, a little bit of runway to, to try out what it looks like with DeJuan Harris and Remy Martin on the court at the same time, see if that gives the transition a little bit of a jump start to see if they can play a little bit faster, you know, maybe some token pressing, stuff like that. And Bill Self can try some things. But, uh, yeah, no, I would fully anticipate uh, DeJuan Harris. He'll, he'll be the starter in there instead of Jalen Wilson, and they'll have a few games to play with that and see if that's something that works. Jesse, this is Adam. I, a quick question about the next few games without Jalen Wilson. Do you think there's any real chance that somebody steps in and plays so well that Jalen loses what is assumed to be his starting role once uh, once his suspension's done? Well, you never say never, but I think it would be very difficult. Um, from all indications, Jalen has been one of K's top performers in practices. And, you know, he, even hearing Bill Self talk about him yesterday, even after – uh, the incident over the weekend, just talking about, you know, how he respects what Jalen does and what he has done and kind of how he's become a leader on the team. We know Bill Snow's all about trust. And after a couple years with Jalen, it's going to be naturally a guy that he trusts. So some of the other maybe people that you would think of candidates that might replace some of Jalen Wilson's minutes are not going to come in with that sort of built-up rapport or built-up trust level that uh, Bill Self has with Jalen Wilson at this point. So uh, I think it's probably more for some of those other guys on the fringes of the rotation to see if they can establish some things. I mean, one example would be a guy like K.J. Adams. You know, he could get a little minutes in his first, um, especially tonight, but in the first few games because uh, KU, if they're going to play four guards, they really need some rebounding out of that 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 four position, and uh, K.J. Adams might be the most natural person who can do that while still remaining as a as a typical guard and, and that sort of offense that Bill Self is trying to run. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. We'll see how it plays out, but a lot of guys right now are battling for those backup minutes anyway. That might be kind of where the more fascinating battle is. Uh, as far as starting goes, you know, I would anticipate it might not happen immediately in Orlando when Jalen Wilson is catching up, but I would expect him to, to regain his starting spot. I'd be pretty surprised, actually, if that didn't happen sooner rather than later in this season. We're talking with Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star here on RCSTR. I've got some uh, over-unders for you as we get ready for the start of the season. My first one, you mentioned, interested to see Remy Martin. If I gave you over-under 32 minutes a game for Remy Martin, what would you take? Uh, I'll go under. Uh, I wouldn't have said that before the season, but I think right now it's a a game of catch-up for him. So um, until he gets fully established and fully uh, into what KU's doing. I, I, I mean, I think you've heard Bill Self talk about Dewan Harris. He loves what Dewan Harris can do, and he comes in with the added bonus of sort of knowing what's going on out there, knowing the plays, knowing the personnel, knowing the coach. So uh, I wouldn't have said that a, a little while ago, but I'll stand up for now. Would that change for you at all, knowing that even Devon Dotson as a freshman played 32-and-a-half or that Sharon Collins on the loaded 2010-11 squad played 33 I don't know. Uh, if you go back the last, I think, five years, the, the lowest mark is Dotson at 32.5 for the lead point guard. Does that change anything at all? No, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, because Bill Self has options here, uh, too. And I, I'm just sort of envisioning, I mean, if, if you told me 
take February and March combined, is it 32 or more? I would say more. But I think there's going to be some early games where we know how Bill Self plays this man. Like, he plays the guys he trusts. And he wants to win every single game. And, I mean, it's, it's led him to a Hall of Fame career. So, I mean, that's not like anybody's questioning that. It's a really good way to play. You're, you're taking every game like it's the Super Bowl. But I think there might be some Super Bowls early in K's schedule where he might trust some other guys more than he trusts Remy. So, we'll see how it plays out. Again, I, I could be totally wrong with that. But uh, 32 might be a touch high if you're going to envision at least a couple games like that. I think I, I agree with you. I think anywhere in that like 28 to 32 range is where I view it. Uh, half a first or second team All-American. So if you think they'll get one first, second team All-American, be the over, if not an under. I'll go under. I, I just, you know, I'm not comparing the team to 2008. Everyone stopped there. But I, <laughs> I do see similarities where um, that team kind of split the vote, you know, and, and I mean, the most natural person to me to make that list would be a guy like Ochai, but we sort of know right now what Ochai is, and he's a really good role-player shooter, um, but that struggles to create for himself, so maybe, you know, Remy and DeWan can help him with that this year to get him some open shots, but he's a lead defender, which isn't really going to show up in the stat sheet, which coaches um, and and really knowledgeable fans will appreciate, but that's not going to show up in a bunch of steals, probably, and I mean, I don't envision his points per game just shooting through the roof this year so you know you don't take him and i just talked to you about remy and you know david mccormick will probably put up numbers but i don't think his defensive numbers will be to the point where um you would put him on those sorts of lists so i guess i'll take the under but you know that still might put kansas in the realm where they would have two or three guys you'd consider an honorable all-american type status or second or third team big 12 that sort of thing it just wouldn't put one guy toward the top i'm glad you brought up ochai he averaged 14.1 points per game last year, over under 14 points per game for Ochai this year. I will go over. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I just think you get him one more, two more, three more, four more open shots a game from three, and he's going to make one or two or three, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. So um, I, I think. Last year, obviously, he was consistent, and whatever it was, like the first twenty-three or twenty-four games or whatever, he only had he only did not score double digits once. So um, that is kind of something that Kansas needed last year. He was sort of the the guy you could depend on for scoring. But I, I just think with the guys they have, who we mentioned, yes, who we mentioned, Martin, we mentioned the development from Harris. I, I think. Ochai, why he probably was so attractive to some of those NBA teams, is he can be a very, very, he's a very, very, very good player if he's not your best player on the court. You know what I mean? And and to try to have him be that last year might have been asking just a little bit too much from him. And so if he's a secondary option on offense uh, and can kind of just stand there and wait and shoot open threes, then I, I love his offensive game. So I, I think he can just get slightly over that 14-point-per-game mark, and he'll play a lot of minutes as well. Over under one and a half non conference losses before the calendar flips to twenty twenty two for Kansas. So you're not counting Kentucky, is correct? What you're or March Madness? You know, it's weird. Their non con schedule actually, I mean, it's loaded compared to other teams, but it's probably not as loaded as other years have been. But God, I, uh, I'll give them two. I'll still say the over. I mean, that's. Like, at Colorado, is kind of like a really sneaky, tough game and the altitude and all that sort of stuff. And if they drop that one, which wouldn't surprise me, then you're just looking for one more. And, um, yeah, I, I, again, that, that might be pessimistic, according to people. And, heck, I've got number two in my 
AP preseason poll, so I'm, it's not like I'm low on the Jayhawks either, but uh, I'll, I'll give them a second one, and uh, that's probably one that a lot of people would disagree with me on. All right, KU had a, ended up with a bad three-point shooting uh, team overall. I think it was maybe the worst under Bill Self or maybe the second worst. I can't remember. Um, over under 36% from three as a team this year. I don't know. I, I might need some help setting that line. What do you think the proper line should be on that? Yeah, I mean, 36 probably sounds all right. I think they were at 34-ish last year, which is right around NCAA average. Well, it's just and- weird because if you go back two years, it's 35%, but then if you go back one more year, it's up to 40 So it's like hard to find the, the middle ground there. Well, yeah, and you're also talking a little bit about how many are they going to take because if you mm-hmm. don't take, like, there's just when Kentucky shoots it really well because cause they don't take any. They just shoot wide open ones. And so you're kind of trying to figure out what's on this year's team, how many are they going to shoot? Um, I think 36 is right about where you'd want to put it. And, um, yeah, that's a tough one. I would say I'll go, I mean, like percentage points over, but not much. But they added a lot of good shooters. I mean, Joseph Gessler is a good shooter. Jalen Coleman-Lands is a good shooter. And then you, you do have to factor in, like, just, you know, small improvement from the guys they have back. I mean, if you go back and look at these studies, um, like that Ken Bomroy does out there, where over time the players that you have can become gradually better shooters each year they're in college. And so, you know, you saw Christian Brown, his first year just shot like that. Last year was more of a struggle. I mean, I think he'll shoot better. Jalen Wilson, I think he'll shoot better. So uh, if it's a 36, I'll go slightly over, but I, I wouldn't anticipate 40 or 41 or 39 like the 2018 team shot. I don't think this is – I don't think it's that good, but I, I think it'll be better than a year ago. Even if it's just like, or better than, I'm sorry, better than 36, even if it's just slightly above that. More minutes per game. Zach Clements plus Jalen Coleman Lands or <laughs> Cam Martin plus KJ Adams? <sighs> okay. <laughs> Zach Clements plus mm-hmm. Jalen Coleman Lands mm-hmm. versus KJ Adams plus Cam Martin. Correct. I will take the first team. Mm-hmm. Zach Clements plus Jalen Coleman lands. Uh, sounds like Zach's coming on lately. Uh, obviously, he's sort of in a battle with Cam Martin when it comes to the backup five minutes, but um, it sounds like he's done well early and is picking things up. And uh, So that's a positive thing. Jalen Coleman lands is kind of a question mark, especially with a toe injury, uh, struggles to guard a little bit, but He's such a good shooter, and he's played at this level and is 25 years old. It's hard to see him getting zero minutes. So um, I'll go with those two. On the other side of it, I just kind of mentioned Ken Martin with that. But, uh, you know, KJ Adams is another guy that Bill up has lauded for just kind of fitting in and trying to play a role which the team is going to need to be a blend guy. So that's a positive for him. But uh, same thing goes as before, which is, you know, how much are you going to trust a true freshman in some of these big games early, especially if the game is close? I don't know what the answer will be if, when it comes to KJ Adams. Another guy I'm interested to see tonight against Emporia State to see what he can do. But I'll go with your first group and uh, believe in the Zach Clement type train. All right, I got a similar one, but it's with the guard position. More assists per game. Remy Martin plus Joe Yesifu or Dewan Harris plus Bobby Pettiford? Ah, okay. <laughs> I will go with the first one again because mm-hmm. I think if Kansas becomes the team that Bill Self envisioned by the end of the year and what he wants it to be, then 
Remy is going to start to play a lot, and he's going to start to be a guy that opens up other players for a lot of easy baskets. And we saw a small sample of this in uh, at late night where uh, we're getting a ball screen. You know, if you keep things simple and, and just have Remy go and, and read a ball screen, read the backside defense, where the ball's supposed to go, he's really good at getting the ball to Dave McCormick when he's supposed to get to McCormick. He's really good about driving and taking advantage of the defense when that was there. He's really good about kicking it out and making the extra pass uh, in that sort of scenario, too. So, I think if this thing ends up how it's supposed to look like in Bill Self's perfect world, then Remy's going to be averaging probably six or seven assists per game, and um, by that time potentially could eat away a little bit of DeWan Harris's minutes as well. So um, I will go with the Remy side of this. Joseph Joseph is a scorer, but maybe add he's going to play. He's going to play. So maybe you'll add one or two assists from him too. You can add to that total as well. Okay, I, I uh, this is more of a like uh, what a ballpark figure would be. I was trying to remember this. I know you wrote about this either two or three years ago. There was a year that KU in an exhibition game played. It was some ridiculous amount of lineups, but I couldn't remember how many it was. I couldn't find it. I don't know if you remember this off the top of your head. Like What what do you think is the amount of lineups we're going to see in tonight's game against Emporia State? Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. Lots. Absolutely lots. And, and this is the time to do it, right? I mean, um, to, to see what you got, to give guys a chance because, you know, the real show starts next week. I mean, there is a balancing act, though, too, and Bill Stuff talked about this yesterday, is part of what he wants to get out of this game is to build some confidence. I mean, not only do you want to get guys in and get them experience, but you also want to, like, get the guys they're going to play ready. You know, you want to get them playing with each other. So, um, yeah, I mean, the game will probably uh, be out of hand in the second half at some point, and uh, Bill Stuff's got, what, <laughs> 17, 18 guys he can go to. Uh, and that's even with Jalen Wilson's suspension. So, uh, yeah, there should be lots of combinations. A lot of I mean, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers on those, but probably you know somewhere in the twenties is where it's going to end up at some point. And that just because he's got so many guys he can go to. All right, uh, before we let you go, one last thing with Adam. All right, Jesse, one last thing. What was the last food you had delivered to you? <laughs> if you want to give out a oh. shout out to the restaurant, you can do that too. Uh, you know, I am a big time carry out guy honestly mm. uh Saves i usually money. go get them myself so uh i was part of a group that had some uh, some pizza I delivered on on halloween so that's the first thing that pops to mind and that's probably the last one i ever had delivered was a was a pizza i'd order but uh like i said usually i'm a guy that hops in the car and goes and, and gets it myself so it was kind of a, a covid thing for a while that a lot of us did but uh not not a huge delivery guy i'll, I'll just go get that thing myself as a person who's delivered pizza before uh both as my senior year at ku and in the interim while i was waiting for this job to start i can tell you that i would never ever order food with delivery unless i was impaired and couldn't drive because it is such i mean it's like six extra somebody bucks, should man. do like a new york times article on like how much somebody would save like if, if you took the average person how often they order or maybe like the average millennial how often they order and figure out if they would have just picked up carry out every time how much money they would save. I mean, year. it's at least three bucks for the carry for the charge. They get you for with the delivery service charge fees, plus delivery the fees, tip. tip. Yeah, that'll get you. That'll get you. He, yeah, Jesse knew. Yeah, oh, go you ahead. got a tip too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Learn, uh, teaching you how to save money. We no longer have Clark Howard here on KLWN, but we do have Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. Jesse, thank you so much for the time, and uh, looking forward to reading whatever you write after the game tonight. 
I appreciate it, guys. And then uh, yeah, anytime you need a geriatric millennial take, you know, you know where to get it. <laughs> right here. All right, that's Jesse Newell of the Kansas City Star, KansasCity.com. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. Four o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 on the AM dial with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson. So... Oklahoma State has been banned from the 2022 NCAA tournament. Now, if you'd remember last year, they got popped by the NCAA. They basically put it through the appeals process, and the appeal was just now announced today that they would be banned from the postseason. They were initially going to get banned, but um, part of the reason I think that Oklahoma State went through the appeals process was you had a really good team. You had Kate Cunningham. You wanted to see what you could do in the NCAA tournament, but also you just wanted an appeals process because you didn't think you got a fair shake, and I think they have a very good point that they did not get a fair shake. Um, So today it was announced, as I mentioned, that they're going to be banned from the NCAA tournament, and that is... Really unfortunate for them. It's an Oklahoma State team that I don't know. I, I'm I'm pretty high on this year. Like I, I don't know if they'll be as good as they were last year when you lose Kate Cunningham, but like everybody else is back, and you could convince yourself that it'd be like a uh, what 07 to 08 Texas thing where you have Kevin Durant in 07, you get a four seed, you lose in the second round, you lose Kevin Durant, you wonder how are we going to be better than that. But then everybody else got so much better that that team the next year ended up getting a two seed going to the Elite Eight. I'm not saying that would have been the case with Oklahoma State, but I think they would have been kind of a fringe top 25, like sure NCAA tournament team. So really unfortunate that they're going to be out of it. But it's also unfortunate how this came down because this doesn't seem like something. It's basically a player got paid like $300, and I don't even think they played with any ineligible players and yet they're still getting and the postseason ban. They self-reported mm-hmm. it. And that's the big lesson here. The fact that you should not cooperate with the NCAA. We've been saying it ever since you know North Carolina had their academic thing that they kept fighting tooth and nail. They didn't cooperate with the NCAA. And sure enough, they didn't get in any trouble. KU is trying to go down that route after seeing what Oklahoma State happened to them today. It's you know better for KU they go down this route. And even if KU ends up getting punished, you're still going to feel like, well, it can still we, was probably better to go down this route than that route. Yeah, can we honestly, watching this, and we'll hear from Mike Boynton mm-hmm. here in a second uh, with what he had to say in his press conference, can we honestly, even if KU gets, gets a, you know, self gets suspended the max, let's say he gets suspended a year, and KU misses two or three straight postseasons as a result, can we honestly sit there? And they got, I think Oklahoma State got three scholarships knocked off too. Can can we honestly sit here and say that whatever is coming down the pipe for KU would be would have been improved or would be better or lighter had they just cooperated? I don't think so. There's no evidence to suggest that. Yeah, I think it's just like, oh, cool, you just gave us the evidence to incriminate you. Uh, so here is, you mentioned Mike Boynton spoke. He was uh, there with, I, I think, the university president or maybe the athletic director. I don't know who the other guy was there, but um, 
he had some some telling words, and you could tell he was very emotional about what had happened, as you'd imagine. You have to break this news to all your college kids who you recruited. You told, like, we're going to have good seasons, and now something that's completely out of your hands is going to prevent those players that have worked their butt off from getting to the NCAA tournament. Here is uh, one comment from Mike Boynton on the NCAA stuff. So the message is clear because we had a 300, one $300 violation, no failure to monitor, no lack of institutional control, no recruiting violations, no head coach responsibility, no players playing ineligible. So if you got some of those things going on, don't do what we did. What we did was we asked them that we work with them through this process. On January 20th of 2020, I flew to Atlanta to do the first round of this process with the NCAA. The next day we played OU here. It was important that I be there. I went to Atlanta for no reason to cooperate with them, to cooperate with John Duncan and Sharika Montgomery and Russell Register. And then this year, on February 7th, while in Lawrence, Kansas, for a game, the day we played, we had an appeal hearing. And we cooperated. And we showed up. And we'd answer their questions. And we provided all the information they asked. So if you're one of those other schools, be careful what they ask you for. That's interesting. Be careful what you ask you for if you're one of those other schools. feels like you're speaking directly to KU. KU, I mean, college basketball, really coaches in general, if they like each other, look out for one another. And I think Boynton is, is angry, and, and I think um, it's worth noting he, the decision makers he, he called out by name. Um, and I think he, he made it a point to say, no, this is exactly how you, you know, use us as an example as how to not handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to find, so KU was unranked at that time when that Oklahoma state, uh, when he mentioned that Oklahoma state was in Lawrence, I believe that meeting was done by zoom. So he, he flew to Atlanta before a bedlam game and then flew back to, to coach the next day. And this one, the day he was supposed to be preparing for a game, he was I assume it was done via Zoom because he was in Lawrence, plus everything was done via Zoom at that point in the year. Um, KU won that game by 12. You wonder how much that had to do with, you know, any level of distraction. But, yeah, he's sending, a, a he's sending I think, you know, one, a shot right at the NCAA, and two, um, kind of encouraging coaches to to get behind him and kind of bind together and, and say, no, we're not we're not going to take it. If, if this is how you treat us when we help you, then why do we help you? Yeah, and that's always been talked about from, like, the outskirts of because of the North Carolina case and because of other things that have gone on, like fight them tooth and nail, but it's I, I've never heard it come from, like, an actual coach. I think, and, and at this point, I think he's, not only is he angry, I think it's occurred to him, well, if I try to you know, make peace and, and, and be diplomatic or whatever in my press conferences, that gets me nowhere. 
now the NCAA gets, you know, we're going to hear what Mike Boynton actually thinks because the NCAA has given him no reason yeah. to keep a filter. 100%. And I, I've always liked Mike Boynton. I like him even more after watching this, how emotional he was. He was crying up there because of the fact that he does have to tell his player, Like, he cares about his players and his team so much that, that this would happen to them. And it stinks so bad, too, that it happens literally after the semester has already started to where none of these kids, if you're a senior on that team, you can't transfer at this point. If you, Well, I mean, I guess you could, but... Yeah, I don't know. Would you have to sit out the year? I, I don't know. I don't know, know what the work. rules would be, but I mean, but but the point still stands. They wait till October, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know. The, this doesn't really make the NCAA come across as anything more than a disorganized, mm-hmm. um, a disorganized entity, a vengeful entity, um, an inconsistent entity. It it basically. You know everything that um, that a lot of people have felt the NCAA is. They have shown themselves to be in this case. Yes, and the issue is like how much does the NCAA even care that everybody's bashing on them? Probably not much. I I just don't think they really care in general. Just keep cashing the checks and you know whatever happens happens. But if you're Oklahoma State, you're going to be really if if like KU in a year it comes out that KU gets off scot free, which. I, I don't think it's going to happen, but who knows? It very well could. We what if they seen... get something equal, though? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We haven't seen what the IARP resolution is going to look like, and that's different than the avenue Oklahoma State went down. If they get something equal, Mike Boynton is going to be so mad, and he's going to be mad at the NCAA. He's going to be mad at Oklahoma State for even going through this process and not just fighting tooth and nail like KU has. And I tweeted this earlier. Uh, this is exactly why KU fans should have been thrilled. I think the story came out in... June or July, it was summertime of 2020, when Bill Self, it was announced that not just a, an attorney with KU, but Bill Self's private attorney told the NCAA, save evidence, because and, and, and he there was, that was a nice way of saying, <laughs> we're going to come after you mm-hmm. if you make a certain decision here. Uh, and and the, 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 the precedent that they're citing there is uh, basically their, their, their negligence or, or their... Um, improper uh, accusations is, is potentially preventing Bill Self from making money or getting a contract renewal uh, or, or getting a raise, those sorts of things. That's that's the precedent they're using in their argument and, and potential lawsuit. But they, they straight said to the, you know, you tell somebody start saving evidence, is, that's that's a way of saying we're coming for you if, if you step over a certain line here. And I, I don't know how KU fans can't be um, I don't know if encouraged is the right word, but you certainly can't be against the way KU is handling this now. No, you see what happened with Oklahoma happier. State. Yeah, it does. So absolutely ridiculous from the NCAA. What also was ridiculous, this sort of from the NCAA, but a different committee because they have so many different committees. The College Football Playoff Committee uh, released their first rankings yesterday, and you won't believe it. The Power 5 schools were benefited over the group of five schools, but not just that. The Big 12 uh, got a little hurt with Oklahoma being only ranked 8th. Now, I actually I, I mentioned this with Kevin Flaherty yesterday in talking to him. Like, is there a chance they could be lower than we think? Because their best win is at Kansas State or on neutral field with Texas. Neither of those teams are, not only are they not ranked, they're probably not even in the next, like, 5 or maybe 10 that would be ranked after that. So, I sort of understand it from that standpoint, and I do think Oklahoma's going to lose at some point. They've been playing with fire so much, but that's neither here nor there. What I don't understand the most is Cincinnati being ranked sixth. I know a lot of people are with this. 
and and this isn't me saying that Cincinnati, I think, is going to finish in the top four or should finish in the top four. But at this point in time, because that's what it's supposed to be at this point in time, where would they rank? How, how is it that Cincinnati right now is right? If, if you were to tell me at the end of the year, you know, Ohio State has beaten Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State and, and all these top 10 teams, uh, Wisconsin or Iowa or whoever. Then you start to see the difference in the resume, right? You start to see the difference of why yeah. Ohio State could be ranked ahead of Cincinnati. But at this point in time, Ohio State's best win is Penn State, who was not ranked last night, which means their best win, well, I guess uh, Minnesota's ranked 20th, even though they lost to Bowling Green. So that's kind of weird. So What's Notre Dame ranked? Uh, Notre Dame is ranked 10th. And that's so. And that was a road so win. So Cincinnati, as we sit here, has a better first has a, win. Has a, a top 10 win. What was Oregon ranked? Oregon is fourth. So the only top 10 team that mm-hmm. Ohio State's played, they yes. lost. At home. At home. The only Cincinnati top 10. Went on the road Cincinnati went on the road against a top mm-hmm. 10 team and won. Yes. So their first win is better than Ohio State's first win. Their second wins, both against five and three teams. Um, Cincinnati doesn't have a loss. Ohio State does. You can look at certain like strength of schedule metrics. They're always different with who values what. I saw one where Ohio State was like 74th. So it's not like Ohio State. Again, Ohio State will get there. They still have to play Michigan and Michigan State in the Big Ten title. So we they will yesterday. get there. If they win out, yes. they'll be in. Correct. But right now, how do you view it like that? I don't understand that. I'm getting this quote, um, and I don't know if this was uh, him talking specifically. Uh, Gary Barda is where this quote came mm-hmm. from. He's the uh, selection chair of the college football selection, or he's the committee chair of the selection committee. Um, this quote I'm getting from Nicole Auerbach. She is a, a writer for The Athletic. Uh, last night, he, uh, Gary Barta had a quote where he says, quote, Cincinnati has tremendous respect from the committee. Um, it, I think he's either lying or doesn't know what those <laughs> words mean. And that, I don't know. It's If this, look, if, if this... I don't even know if you have to go so far as to say if, if this Cincinnati team doesn't make the playoff, mm-hmm. uh, it's proof that the, that they just are never going to put a group of five team in until this expansion happens. I think you can safely say that now. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I saw one thing that was mentioned in regards to Cincinnati. Like, yes, they have the Notre Dame win, but who else have they beaten? Well, first of all, I mean, UCF is not a bad team. They're five and three. But beyond that, if we're going to play the game of who else have you beaten – um, okay, we we going to play it with Alabama where their third best win is against a 4 and 4 Florida team or with Michigan State where their second best win is a 4 and 4 Miami team or with Michigan who their second best win is Northern Illinois. What's Ohio State's best win? Ohio State's best win is I guess technically it's Minnesota now who's ranked 20th. It's like you think they're it's like they're giving credit. Didn't Ohio State crushed Indiana, right? Yeah, it's like they're giving Ohio State credit for that victory based on what Indiana was ranked at the time. Yes, it's, so I I just don't understand that. Um, I don't really understand Alabama at number two. Um, I'll say this: I wasn't expecting they have the big win at Mississippi State, which I didn't really take into account as being like like it was a solid win. It's a five and three Mississippi State squad. I didn't take it into account as being like a resume win. They ranked Mississippi State like 16th or maybe 17th, which I thought was was pretty crazy. Um, but I don't know. I guess it makes sense. So that makes more sense with Alabama. But isn't that weird? Because doesn't that mean that Alabama's loss at Texas A&M just didn't matter? Like, wouldn't they be ranked second either way? 
I yeah. I mean, I, I would I would guess you're right. They have how many losses right now? One. Just the one. Yeah. Uh, the only way it could possibly matter is if you could say that that they would have Alabama one and Georgia two instead. But either way, I mean, the only difference it makes is, is the the way it shakes out now with the rankings is if it happened today, you'd be playing the three seed instead of the four and going to a different location. Do you think this sets up that? If Georgia were to beat Alabama in the title game in a close game, let's say it goes to overtime, do you think Alabama could stay in the title even they, with two losses? They could. The they could. It would depend on what happens the rest of the year or the rest of the the um, nation. I, I think it's pretty like, clear. Do you that think Cincinnati, they would take? I, yeah, I think two lost Bama or undefeated Cincinnati. Yeah, I would think if if, if particularly if Bama plays Georgia close, um, they do they play in the regular season this year? No, they don't. So if they play Georgia close, um, I think they take yeah they take that Alabama team over an undefeated Cincinnati team, which is I don't know maybe maybe we're sitting here and and it's crazy and maybe we get our way and Cincinnati goes undefeated and gets in and they're probably the four and they play Georgia and lose you know forty five to ten and and we all learn our lesson, um, but it's I don't know I I but don't should that should that teach us the lesson because I was thinking about this the other day. Regardless of, and I think the other way of this shouldn't teach our lesson too. If Cincinnati were to get the four and upset Georgia, or if Cincinnati were to get blasted by Georgia, I wouldn't view it as mattering because to me, the idea here is about the process to get, I think it should be the four most deserving teams. Uh, I, I think that would be a better way of saying it. Um, but it should be about the process should you get in, not about the results. Because if we're going to play the results game, like, Every year, there's blowout losses in the college football playoffs. Yeah, that's true. Does that mean that, you know, was, was uh, I'm trying to think, like uh, Ohio State blasted Clemson last year, right? Really, Ohio State smoked um, uh, Alabama in the first year of the play. They won that game going away. I think I, I think it was, I don't know that Ohio State was ever uncomfortable, I guess I'll say. So, like, is that proof that that yeah, team shouldn't yeah, have been in the playoff? Exactly, or was it just that yeah. other team was that much better than you once that's you got true. there? I um I, this to me this goes back to a very uh, a very simple mindset that that or fact that annoys me and that is the highest level of college football FBS college football is the only level of football in the United States at any level peewee even that that you do not have a definitive route to get into the postseason every other level of football. You really every other sport. Mm -hmm. You have a definitive route into your uh, into your postseason, and that doesn't exist at the highest level of college football. This is insane to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Coming up next, we'll play the rest of that Bill Self audio for you. Earlier today, we played for you Bill Self speaking with the media yesterday at KU Men's Basketball Media Day. Some uh, insightful nuggets from Coach Self. Here is the rest of what Bill Self had to say to the media yesterday. How do you think things are coming along defensively for this group? Uh, you know, not great. I don't think we've been a good defensive team. I think our, I think we guard the ball probably average. I think our pressure is, is hit and miss, and, and uh, uh, I, I don't think our our uh, post presence is consistent. I mean, I'll be you know being candid with you. Uh, my concern would be is how good we can play when we don't make shots. You know, I, I tell this team all the time. You know, we we got enough shot makers. If you get if you get Jalen Coleman lands and and uh, 
and CB and, and Oach and Remy and, and, uh, and uh, uh, Jay Will out there and you're playing three of those guys. I mean, you got some guys that can make shots. The, the, the way you should really evaluate a team on how good it is is what do you do when you don't make shots? How do you still win games when you don't make shots? And uh, I think right now we're, we're a team that relies on making shots, which is a bad sign. Uh, uh, but it's also, what is it, November 2nd? So, so we got, we, we, we got a, or November 3rd, what is today? Second. So, so uh, uh, we, we've still got a, a lot of opportunities to improve on that. How's Cam Martin fit in, and how does he look in the preseason? He's looked okay. Yeah, Cam's done fine. I don't think Cam's comfortable yet, uh, totally. Uh, he and he and Zach uh, uh, Clemens would be guys that that uh, you know I'd like to see one of them kind of emerge. Zach's really been the one that's played the best of late, but Cam is more than capable. If Cam makes shots, and then uh, you know certainly he adds a dimension to our offense. Uh, uh, that that could be a big big bonus, you know, having a big guy that can stretch it. But you know, Zach, we're playing him at the five some as well, and he he's actually been a guy that shot the ball probably more consistently than any of our other bigs. Coach, when you guys were first recruiting KJ, anything stand out in that initial, I don't, in that initial viewing of him and what you guys saw? Uh, I, I think what we saw with KJ initially was, you know, if, if you're gonna recruit somebody, you know, you'd like to recruit obviously. You know, skill. You like to recruit athleticism. You like to recruit toughness. And and to us, he was kind of that uh, uh, the toughness and, and and the athletic guy that didn't have the skill offensively, uh, maybe that some others had. But he was just so relentless. How hard he played. That that was something that you know sold us on him. And and you know, after he's been here, he's got skill. I mean, he's not a great shooter yet. But but he's got skill. I mean, he can handle. He can pass. He's got vision. I mean, there's some serious skill to him. So he's actually been a very pleasant surprise. What do you, What do you want to get out of tomorrow night, or need to get out of tomorrow night? Uh, you know, I, I want to see us play well together. I I, I think that I think the Tulsa scrimmage uh, was good for us, and and I certainly understand why teams do that uh, now, and and that's probably something that we'll continue to do. Uh, uh, but tomorrow night, I, I look at it as. Uh, and this isn't a knock to anybody, but we need to get confidence. And I'm not saying confidence just by m making shots, not that, but we need to get confidence by by uh, being able to leave a timeout and do what you're supposed to do, by being able to call something and execute it and try to run it right, regardless if you score. Uh, uh, we need to have confidence in knowing that, you know, how we're going to guard if the other, if we're, if the other team's in a bonus and, and they have the ball with, 30 seconds left in the first half. We, we need to get confidence in those type of things uh, and situationally that, that, that will allow us to play without thinking as we move forward. So I think it'll be good for us. Uh, uh, we need to play tomorrow not to the scoreboard. We need to play to the possession and try to win a possession. And, and uh, I'm, I'm sure Emporia State will try to do the same thing as well. With the mix of all the freshmen, transfers, and veterans, have you seen the chemistry come together from when you guys first started practicing to now and what still needs to be worked on? I, I, I think the chemistry from a from like standpoint has been great, terrific. I think, you know, just because you like somebody doesn't mean you're going to play good though, but, or play well. But I, 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 uh, uh, I, I, I think our guys really like each other. Uh, I think they enjoy each other's company off the court. But I don't think on the court our chemistry is where it should be because I don't think everybody plays to their strengths or 
and, and, and maybe what I think their strengths are, maybe a little different than how they view their own. And, 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 and our ability to communicate hadn't been great. Uh, you, know, they, you know, guys won't shut up off the court and you can't get them to say boo on the court sometimes. And so, you know, that, that, that all comes with chemistry too, is, is uh, trusting people to talk and trusting people to call something out so that way you can react to it. And, and a lot of times when you don't trust, then you go half-ass at something and, 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 and therefore that, you know, totally screws the possession up or whatever or don't. Uh, so I, I, I think the chemistry is getting better, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see us being, being, you know, in mid-season form till mid-season. Be real candid. With you got older guys, is that, do they pass on the culture for the new guys who come in? You got guys who have been great players in other places. They yeah. come in. You expect different things. You have different ways. You I, I, I think this. This is one thing that I have found out, and, and, and this is not a knock to anybody, but coaching a freshman, they know what they don't know. Most of them. Coaching a guy that's been in school five years, they've already kind of got an idea on how they do things, how to do things based on how they've been taught to do it the last four. So the experience is a bonus, but getting the experience to understand how we do things, I think sometimes takes longer than maybe a young guy that just hey, just tell me what to do. You tell me to be a ball mover and a runner and a defender, I'm gung-ho. Where somebody else, now you don't know my game. I did this somewhere else. This is how we play. And, and, and getting somebody to buy into that, I think, takes a little bit longer. It'll all happen, but I don't think it's something that happens quite as quick as it is with an 18-year-old. Do you think any guys will redshirt? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, we can, play, we can play guys tomorrow. Uh, uh, so uh, I anticipate us playing guys tomorrow, and we, we may have a redshirt or two or three candidate, but I haven't had those conversations with our players yet. I, I told them we're going to get through the exhibition games and, and then sit down and talk to see kind of how – we view you at this juncture and, and, uh, and to see uh, uh, what they want to do moving forward. So, uh, uh, you know, there's been Tyrell Reed, why didn't we redshirt him? Uh, there's been, you know, guys like that, 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 that you go back and you say, ooh, I wish I would have, and, and we didn't do it. Uh, uh, and so we've got guys that are good enough to be great players here, but they're probably not going to get the same opportunities now as they will. In a, in a year or two, so uh, we'll, we'll have that discussion with the guys, but we haven't had that yet. One more on Remy. How much did he stand out here maybe four years ago? Uh, Remy beat us twice. And, and, and uh, uh, I actually went back and watched the game when we were recruiting him here. They had another guard, I can't remember his name, that was absolutely fabulous. I mean, he was fabulous. But those two guys are the two best players in the game. You know, Remy got 20 here as a freshman but he controlled the game with energy, spirit. I don't know if you guys can remember watching him play. He has an infectious way about him that, that, that we need, personality. So that's good. Uh, uh, and he controlled the game by playing great here. Then we go back to their place, and he didn't do hardly anything until it was game point, and then he won the game for them at game point. So that, that, that was something that kind of sold me. I saw him when he was really terrific, and he beat us. And I saw him when he wasn't, and he still found a way to beat us. So, and that's a sign of a good player. So, I, th I think he's going to be, uh, you know, he's 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 not going to be a twenty-point a game scorer. We're not going to play that way. But he's going to be a guy that that uh, that our fans can thoroughly enjoy watching play because he he may do something different, including hitting the coach in the head with a pass. Uh, uh, that 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 is uh, uh, that people may just want to come see. 
because he is fast and he is explosive and he's got his own mind. And, and, and uh, certain, sometimes he sees things that I don't. And, and sometimes that's good and sometimes maybe it's not so good. Got time for a couple was Jalen Coleman lands available at Tulsa? No, he was not. Jalen got nicked up his toe, I believe it was last Saturday. So it's day to day, but it hasn't been the day yet. What do you think you learned about your team from the Tulsa scrimmage? Uh, I don't know that I, I don't know that we learned much. Uh, I think that uh, uh, I think that if we really lock in and want a guard, we can be pretty good defensively. Uh, but uh, I don't know that we learned a ton, uh, except you know once again the guys do like to compete. Uh, uh, you know, I, I think there's that's always a nervousness going into a season is how will your guys like it when they get punched in the mouth and that kind of stuff. And our best teams have always enjoyed getting punched and then well, okay, now game on. You know, I don't know if this team really viewed it that way, uh, uh, but uh, Tulsa gave us what we wanted in, in many ways, and I thought our guys responded to it very well. Did you Coach Hate talk about the no call at the end of the regular season game here? On I talked about how how it was a 50-50 call at our place and how we got screwed at their place. That's, <laughs> a, that, that's, all, that's all I talked about. But, you know, it, it, truthfully speaking, we did talk about it a little bit, you know, and, and uh, you know, that team that they had then, and I know there'll be talk about it moving forward, but that team that they had then was one of the hardest teams to guard because, you, you know, you talk about playing four guards. They played Kimmy English at the four. And you got six three Denman, you got uh, uh, Pressy at five nine, and you got uh, Michael Dixon at six foot, and you got Rat, uh, Ratliff, if I'm not mistaken, at six seven or six eight. I mean, that was a tiny team that played the right way and played big. And, and so, and here we are playing with uh, with Withy at seven foot and Robinson at six nine. It's a totally different setup, uh, uh, but it was good. And, and uh, I hope that. You know that that was that was certainly a great team they had, and you know we should have won at their place. And you know the reality is they should have beat us at our place, but it worked out perfect. All right, that was Bill Self speaking at KU Basketball Media Day yesterday. As we get ready for KU Emporia State, seven o'clock pregame at five thirty, right here on KLWN and our sister station, one hundred five nine Kiss. Uh, one of the things that I found to be most interesting in what he was talking about, actually, there's a couple things. One, uh, and this is over the whole bit of audio him talking about what they would do at the four position but the other part is when he was discussing you know the the freshmen and the incoming transfers and how with the young players sometimes I think he said you know what you don't know and so you're just going to ask like oh well how do you want me to do it like I'll just do it whatever way you want me to do it whereas with some of the the older guys the transfers and I, I don't know if this was like a direct um implication on on like a guy like Remy Martin because I still think Remy's going to start and he's going to play big minutes but maybe a, a little tale in there or a little tell in there um about the fact that maybe it's not as seamless of a transition for Remy Martin as you'd think because they kind of have to basically break him down of some of his other habits that he has and then build him back up the way they want him to play yeah he was actually asked specifically about Remy Martin at, at Big 12 Media Days a couple weeks ago, and he said something really, really similar, and he made it a point to note that it doesn't mean that what he that what he experienced or how they coached him at Arizona State was wrong or that it was bad 
or that the way they do it at KU is better. He just noted that it's different, and it's something that Remy Martin needs to adapt to. And he was t- he talked about chemistry as well, and, and that's going to play a big role because he, he noted from a, from an off-the-court standpoint, chemistry is fantastic. They're getting along. They're friends. They, they love to joke around. But on the court, you know, he says they – the quote that I liked is they're not going to, they won't shut up off the court and you can't get them to say anything on the court. And I wonder how that that's going to translate, you know, what, what it is, you know, Bill self, what, what sort of signals he's wanting to, to yell out versus what Ruby Martin's used to. Um, that'll be a huge, you know, I didn't even consider that transition. Um, but yeah, that'll be huge. When you heard him say too, like, you know, Remy's going to be a guy who the fan base loves because he's energetic and he's going to make big plays happen. He's going to make flashy plays happen. I'm sure he's going to hit a lot of, you know, he's going to be the guy in a lot of situations where the shot clock's winding down and he has to go create a shot out of nothing, right? right? Like that was a big knock against last year's team that they didn't really have that. And that's one of the big reasons why you go out and get a guy like Remy Martin. But there's also going to be some moments of maybe headaches where I think he, he said, you know, where he's going to throw a ball and it's going to hit a coach or something like that on a regular pass. And I wonder if there are going to be, unlike other guys, especially senior guys, because it's not just that they're seniors, but that they've been with Bill Self for three, four years. Like with Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, Devon Dotson, his sophomore year, I can't recall a moment ever where it was like he had a couple bad plays and then he got, Bill Self was so mad that he yanked him for a few minutes to use the bench as a teaching tool, which we know he likes to do yeah. with other positions, but you rarely see it a point guard. I think that might actually happen a few times this year. Jesse Newell uh, loves to bring up a quote from uh, about Tyshawn Taylor and that, that team with Tyshawn Taylor and Thomas Robinson that went all the way to the national title game, you didn't have the luxury of pulling Tyshawn Taylor as a teaching moment because you, you the team had such little depth. But um, Newell has noted many times, he loves this quote, where he said about Tyshawn Taylor, he makes plays that you can't coach, mm-hmm. but then he'll turn around and make co- make a play that you wonder if he's ever been coached. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, Martin... Um, you wonder if you're going to see some of that, that you just, you're going to have one moment going, wow, in a good way, and then, whoa, yeah. in a bad way. And I think there will be You'll more. You'll see a lot of those in the same game. Yes, and I think there will be more positives than negatives. I, I just, I wonder if some of the hype is being dampened a little bit on Remy Martin to where, again, like, I think he's still going to be a really good player, but maybe we shouldn't have, like, Big 12 Player of the Year type of expectations. Well, and, and, and that's, I think a lot of that it falls on media and fans. Mm-hmm. That you know, we I, I look back. This is a different situation because he was a freshman. But Andrew Wiggins, I think if you actually had clearer eyes about Andrew Wiggins, you would have been just fine with his performance, his, his freshman and only season at KU. But um, the expectations mm-hmm. were so outrageous that you know it was. I hope that impossible. doesn't happen. And that's the thing about Remy is he can. I, I I worry that he can still have a really good season. But people will say, "Boy, that was disappointing," because the expect the preseason expectations are still out- so outrageous. All right, real quick, and then we're going to take a break. If you had to power rank, give me your top three in order most likely to win Big Twelve Player of the Year for Kansas. Like if um, KU won it, yeah. Uh, well, I think Remy is one. Okay. Um, I think two would be Dave McCormick, even though they're going four round one. Just the importance of a big man in in a KU offense. And then three, you know what? I don't know if it would be. I, I think I, I know where you're going, and I hope you do it. I don't know if it would be Dewan Harris. Oh, that's not where I was because expecting I, you I to go. I was leaning, like, the third, the obvious one would be Ochai Abaji because mm-hmm. everyone talks about him. 
And then there there is Christian Brown who who's shown his ability as a shooter and a passer. But I, I guess Dewan simply because of how many Big Twelve Player of the Years are guards, particularly guards that show a good good ability to drive. I'm just worried he won't have the raw stats, but he'll have That's, the impact. And I don't know what his minutes will be. Yeah, so I would go one. For me, it's Dave because of the interior presence. Two for me is actually Ochai. Three, I think, would be Remy. But I, I don't think the guy that I was wondering if you were going to bring up, I, I don't think Jalen Wilson's got enough talk maybe in this regard. Now Now who knows with, with whole the yeah, suspension thing. His, his willingness to get dirty and go after rebounds is awesome. Yes, it is. He's the best defensive rebounder on the team, as you heard self mentioned. All right, that was the Bill Self Audio and some reactions from that with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's uh, project the possible rotation for KU next, which will be shattered away after tonight, I'm sure, and I'll have uh, a new one tomorrow. This is RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. As we get ready for KU basketball, their exhibition opener, at least the one that everybody can watch and and actually attend and see stats afterwards and and so forth against Emporia State. Pre-game at 5.30, tip-off at 7 o'clock. So I'm going to take a stab at what I think the rotation is going to be for this KU team this season. I think we have to start from... You know, a standpoint of Bill Self said he thinks they can get up to a 10-man rotation. I'm not expecting it. I think I'm, I'm more airing on the side of it's going to be nine guys. And then once you get down to, like, March, it might be down to eight guys. But I'll play it on the safe end of things and get it up to 10. So we start with the two lead guard spots where you have Remy Martin at 30 minutes, I would say. And that might be a very conservative number. Um, if he lives up to the hype and he is indeed the Big 12 Player of the Year, that's probably going up. The least amount of time that KU's lead point guard has played over the past handful of seasons is 32 and a half. So maybe 30 is way too conservative. I, I'm tempted to bring this up to 32, but I'll just be safe and say 30. There are going to be some, I think, parts of a learning curve for Remy this season more than you'd expect with with uh, a transfer. You heard Bill Self talking about the fact that sometimes with young players, it, they kind of know what they don't know. It's easier to kind of teach them something because you don't have to reteach them something, right? You don't have to strip down what was taught before and then build them back up with what you're teaching them. And with Remy Martin, you might have to lose some of those old habits to rebuild new ones. So I'll say 30 minutes. I think part of it, too, is KU has a lot of guard depth and lead guard depth as well. Um, but again, I feel weird going below that 32 and a half threshold. Like Marcus Garrett played 33 a game last year. Dotson was at 35 the year prior. He was at 32 and a half his freshman year. Devontae Graham and Frank Mason were at 38 and 36 respectively. Now, if we are to think this team is as deep as, you know, the 2010, 2011 team, which had similar depth, Sharon Collins even played 33 minutes a game in that one. Mario Chalmers in 08 was at 30 minutes, and that team played a lot of guards. So, again, I'll be conservative. I'm going to give him 30, but it'd probably be safer to err on the side of, like, 32. Now, you know what? We'll just make a change. We'll say 32 minutes a game for Remy Martin. And, again, you have 80 minutes at the 1-2 and two position. So, that leaves you with 48 minutes. Let's give, mm, I don't know, 8 minutes to Ochai. Like, I think there will be some time when he's in there basically as a 2. And then that leaves you with 40 minutes between playing a second point guard 
so we'll just, what, give 20 minutes a game to Dewan Harris, 20 to Joe Yesifu? But that feels too small for both of those guys, and that doesn't even include Bobby Pettifer, who, who I think they really like. Now, it doesn't really matter which guy is the lead guard in those lineups if Dewan is out there with Remy. I think it would be Dewan. If Remy's with Joe Yesifu, I think it'd be Remy. Um, but that is, I guess, one way that you could divvy up the minutes. I just I have trouble here knowing that Bobby Pettiford, I think, is such a a player that this coaching staff really likes. So I don't totally know what to do with that as far as the minute rotation goes, but uh, we'll just base it out like that. So then you have the three and four positions. You have 80 more minutes to divvy out there. We'll give 22 minutes to Ochai on the wing as either a three or four. That puts him up to 30 minutes total because, remember, we were giving him eight as a two-guard. So 30 minutes a game, that would actually be a few minutes lower than he averaged last season, but I guess you just assume with you know more depth, you might play a few less minutes, but you might be more effective overall. So now with him taking 22 minutes out of it, that leaves you with 58 minutes. Let's say Christian Brown gets 28 minutes there. And, and I don't know, that'd be a little bit lower than he was last year. You could also convince me maybe with Christian Brown, it's 22 to 25 based on the guy we saw at the end of last season where he was struggling to make threes. But now that they have point guards who can create a little bit more this year, I think he's going to be a better fit for the offense. He's been talked about as being one of the most improved players on the team. So you combine both of those things with the fact that maybe he's handling the ball a little bit more now. Maybe he's uh, kind of gives you more of an ability to play at the four position. I think I'll just go with 28 there. So if you're given 22 to Ochai at the three and four, 28 to Brown at the three and four, that leaves you with 30 minutes left. And now Brown is playing 28 for a game. Ochai is playing 30 a game because, again, he's at the two. So now you only have 30 minutes to divvy out between the three and four positions. And that leaves a lot of names for 30 minutes. Jalen Wilson and then, what, K.J. Adams and Jalen Coleman-Lance? Obviously, with Jalen Wilson suspended for these next few games, I guess you just divvy out the 30 minutes between, like, maybe Jalen Coleman-Lance gives you 15, maybe K.J. Adams gives you 15, maybe one guy gives you 20, the other guy gives you 10, something like that. But when Jalen Wilson is back, he has the potential to be one of the better players on the team. I think you... I don't know, you pencil him in for at least like 25 minutes a game. If you want to get more in-depth and say that maybe this suspension leads to somebody kind of usurping him in the rotation or, or showing that they can play really well and that hurts his minutes or puts him in the Bill Self doghouse, I guess all those things are possible. But Jalen Wilson is the best defensive rebounder on the team. He's one of the best transition players on the team. He is a matchup problem for other teams. He's just a good player. Let's not forget, even with the kind of wall that he hit at some point last year, that was his freshman season. You know, you're talking about a guy who still overall had a very good freshman season and is now heading in to year two of actually playing. So 25 minutes a game. Now you only have five minutes. You have a five-minute stretch out there for Jalen Coleman-Lands or K.J. Adams. And I don't even know if that's considered part of the rotation. I think you just say one of those guys is going to get minutes one day. Maybe it's another guy another day, all dependent on the situation. You need more defense. You need more rebounding. K.J. Adams is your guy. You need a three-point shooter off the bench in that specific game. Or Ochai gets in foul trouble, so you need the three-point shooting. Here comes Jalen Coleman-Lands for a five- to ten-minute stretch. That's only 80 minutes, though, to give out between those guys. Ochai, Christian, Jalen Wilson, and then K.J. Adams, Jalen Coleman-Lands. That makes it very difficult. So we'll say again, at the lead guard positions, we'll give 32 to Remy, 20 to Yesifu, 20 to Dewan Harris, and 8 at the two-guard spot for Ochai. Ochai gets 22 
at the three or four. That brings him up to 30 total. Christian with 28. And then you say 25 for Jalen Wilson, for instance, and it leaves you with it's seven minutes to be exact. I was saying five, but I was kind of rounding out. So about a seven-minute stretch for one of K.J. Adams or Jalen Coleman lands, depending on that game. And maybe that doesn't count as the rotation, because if you're saying who are the rotation players, it's somebody who is consistently in the rotation. But that would bring us down to, I believe, nine guys, with the 10th guy being dependent on the situation in Adams or Jalen Coleman lands. And then that leaves you with the center position. David McCormick, he averaged 23 minutes a game last year. Distinct possibility it's at the very same this year because of all the center depth. I'll bump it up a little just because he was so good in Big 12 play. And I think the fact that David McCormick, unlike your other centers, with with Zach Clements, Cam Martin, I'm not saying they can't do work on the post because I, th- I think that still is in both their games. But I think offensively, both those guys right now are, are maybe a little more known for their ability to stretch it as a center, whereas Dave is more so known for going to work on the post, making moves on the post, scoring baskets around the basket. That was very redundant. Um, and I think that ability that he has in a Bill Self offense, which even if it's if whether it's two bigs or one big, which this is going to be a one big team, you're going to feed the post, and Bill Self is going to want to work the big man down low. So David McCormick... Having that skill that is a lot better than those other guys, I'll say he gets a little minute bump. Uh, I'll put him up to 25 minutes a game. It leaves you with 15 minutes at the center position. Let's say, I don't know, you could convince me that K.J. Adams, like I I talked to him yesterday and he said, you know, he can play the three, four, and the five. And he thinks this year he might mostly be asked to play the four and the five. We heard Bill Self mention playing him at the five. That's a couple times that's come up now. It almost makes me think that we could see you know, if I said you have seven extra minutes to give to K.J. Adams or Jalen coleman lands, you could see five minutes for, for K.J. Adams, maybe at the five. Or five minutes for Jalen Wilson at the five, and then K.J. Adams or Jalen coleman lands takes up the five left by Jalen Wilson at the four. So I think that's likely to happen. And then the other ten minutes at the center position, I think you look at Cam Martin and Zach Clements, and you just say one of those two guys is going to merge themselves. I think Mitch Lightfoot will play here and there. You'll have certain situations where maybe Bill Self wants to send a message to some of the guys and you know what energy you're going to get with Mitch. Or maybe there's a specific matchup where you need to throw in Mitch for his uh, shot blocking ability or somebody gets in foul trouble or somebody gets injured or late in games. You know, like Mitch Lightfoot might play there. Um, But I think from most often game to game, one of Cam Martin or Zach Clements gives you about 10 minutes a game. So you get 25 from Dave, 10 from one of those guys, and then five from either Wilson or K.J. Adams is a small ball five, and that allows you to play, say, K.J. Adams 12 minutes a game if he plays seven uh, as a wing or or as a four or whatever. Or if it's Jalen Coleman-Lansday, he plays seven or 12 minutes or so, and Jalen plays five as a small ball five, right? That's how you're going to kind of move around that. Now, I would think Cam Martin would have the edge because he's the senior. He comes in as grad transfer, and certainly you don't bring on grad transfers who have one year left with the idea that they're not going to play, but that doesn't determine it. Like, it's not political. Bill Self's not going to say, well, sorry, you can't play Zach Clements. He's a senior. What am I going to do? No, he is going to play the best guy. And I would just think by experience it would be Cam Martin, but certainly the comments from Bill Self make it sound like Zach Clements has been shooting better and has been a nice surprise so far. And if Zach Clements is shooting as good, if not better, than Cam Martin. It's going to be hard for Zach Clements 
to be behind Cam Martin on the rotation depth chart because he is your highest recruited freshman. So he's a guy you know has potential and you want him to reach that potential. And you would just think other skills-wise, maybe has a little more talent than Cam Martin. So if he's shooting just as good as him and is better in other ways, Zach Clements might be the guy. Right now, I'm kind of leaning towards Zach Clements as being the backup five, but I I do think Cam Martin and Zach Clements, maybe early in the season, they both split five to ten minutes here or there to get them both run and see what works best. And then by the time we get to a couple months, like only one of them might be playing with the other there. So that's a ten-man rotation. You have Remy Martin as the... You know, main point guard, but Dewan Harris and Joe Yasufu both playing as lead guards. That gets you to three people. And again, 32 minutes, 20-20 for those three. Ochai and Christian Brown at 30 and 28 minutes. That brings you to five people. Jalen Wilson at 25 gets you to six. David McCormick at 25 gets you to seven. One of Cam Martin or Zach Clements at 10 minutes gets you to eight. And then basically... Um between, you know, KJ Adams, Jalen Coleman lands, one of those guys is gonna play. Or, I guess, hypothetically, if you're not playing five minutes of the small ball five with Wilson or Adams, then maybe you do get a third center in there, which would get it to ten people. But realistically, it'll be eight consistent names with the ninth and tenth guy, I think, kind of rotating game to game. I think that's going to be my prediction, but the guy that I'm most worried about in altering that is Bobby Pettiford. Like I mentioned, it's hard for me not seeing him on the court at least a bit because you know, if you think about after this year, Remy Martin would be gone. I think they have ideas that Bobby Pettiford, I don't know, I guess Dewan Harris and Joe Yesifu still have more years, but that he can be an impact player in the rotation, and I think they really like him. Um, it's really hard to figure out this rotation. And honestly, I don't know how much we're going to figure out tonight because we're going to see so many different lineups, but maybe we'll get a little bit of a hint, and I don't know. I'll, I'll probably adjust this as soon as tomorrow, and maybe we'll talk about that tomorrow on RCST. All right, this is Rock Truck Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Two hours down, half an hour to go. 5.30 is when Crimson and Blue coverage starts for KU Emporia State tip-off at 7 o'clock.